This morning I'm going to read to you one verse. And that will be the verse that we're sort of trying to um, put meat on uh, as we seek to frame our suffering in Christ overcoming for us. But you hear me quote this verse all the time and I'm reminding you, trying to remind us where we live. Christ has been faithful to us in many ways as our prophet to tell us the truth. And this is one of those places. And as he was speaking to the disciples, um, he'd even predicted that they would scatter. um, But that he would be successful. And in verse 33 of John 16, he says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Through his word, right? In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Implied for you. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to grasp a little bit more of your overcoming for us. That we would be done with expecting everything to go our way. We would be done with a self-centered life. But look to you and believe you and believe your word and walk with you through this veil of tears. And do it in the power of your spirit and do it in a way that magnifies and glorifies you. Thank you that you're with us and for us. And we are ever being shaped into the image of Christ Jesus, our Savior. That every trial and trouble that comes into our life is a chisel in your hand, chiseling away things that don't look like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us to trust you. Help us to rest in you. Help us to frame our suffering well with your grace. And know that it's never wasted. Never worthless. Always meaningful. Always purposeful. Guide and lead us with the light of your truth and your word. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Help us to hear it as your word. Love it. Seek to live in its light. Understand it. To hear it as the word of God. So bless the preaching and the hearing of the word of God. Build your church. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about a frame. What does a frame do for a picture? A frame puts that picture in a context, right? A frame makes that picture useful. We can hang it. A frame is usually something that's very important inside. Like a picture of my grandson many years ago. I want us to be able to frame our suffering this morning with God's grace. 
to use an illustration like this so that you will remember it. That God's truth frames our suffering in such a way to manifest and highlight His sufficiency, His goodness, His strength, His grace in the midst of our trials and suffering and grief. So we're going to be talking about framing our suffering this morning. If you'll remember last week, and I may have done it in previous weeks, I've recommended to you to read the book Mortification of Sin in the Life of the Believer. It's talking about how do we, by the gospel, put to death ongoingly, growingly, sin in our lives. And that book was written by a a, a Puritan, a pastor, a theologian, uh, a very successful writer, one we still read and quote, a man named John Owen. And if you'll read a biography of John Owen, it will highlight for you what I'm going to try to say today. It's the sufficiency of God's strength and God's grace to not just help us make it through our suffering, but to help us thrive and grow in the midst. In 1644, John Owen married Mary Rook. His wife died in 1675. The couple had 11 children. 11 children. Ten of them died in infancy. One lived to adulthood. And, and was married. And shortly after she was married, she died of consumption. Yet he was still this great theologian and writer, still being read and learned from. And my question to you is how? How did that not crush him? Well, there's only one explanation for that. He was looking above the sun. His eyes were fixed on his God. God's grace framed his suffering. He knew where he lived. And he stayed mired in the truths of God's grace through God's word with God's people. How do we frame our lives in a fallen world so that we don't just survive our suffering, but we thrive? Well, I'm going to put it forward to you this morning. It's because we frame our suffering in His grace. So to do that, we need to know where we live. And listen, if you're new to Grace Church or if you're not new to Grace Church and you want to review, but especially if you're new to Grace Church and you didn't hear, there's a big dose of this in our series that we went through Ecclesiastes. I would refer you back to those sermons on the book of Ecclesiastes on on where we live and how do we live here and how do we live looking above the sun. But I'm going to take one one more shot at it today. How do we frame our suffering? Well, we know where we live and we know the God who reigns over it all who happens to be our Savior. So we have hope in the midst of of our suffering. We live in what sometimes is called the already and the not yet. The kingdom has been inaugurated but not consummated. Jesus has come and paid the penalty for our sins, but 
He has not returned to put an end to sin and misery in the world. We live in the midst. We have great hope in His grace. But we're not in heaven yet. Some of us want to live like we're in heaven already. Some of us think nothing hard should happen here. We need to get over that. God never promised that. We live what I'm calling in between. In between Christ's first coming as the suffering servant and His second coming as the conquering King. We live in a time of expansion of the gospel and mission. But we don't live in a time where His people don't suffer. No matter what Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland or any of those people tell you. They're snakes, by the way. If you're new to Grace Church and you're uncomfortable with pointing people's names out, you probably won't make it very long. Because I will warn you about the wolves. It's my job. We live in a veil of tears. We live in a place of suffering. We live in a darkened world. We live in a, a world system that is, that is under the control of the God of this age. But we live in our King and under our King, empowered by His Spirit to live for His glory, to have hope in the midst of suffering, and to be instruments through which His gospel goes to the end of the earth. So we're breaking from Romans today. If you're new to Grace Church, our normal habit is to work through books of the Bible. We're in the midst of a study of Romans. In God's providence, in a couple of weeks, we're going to come right back to talking about suffering in chapter 8 and seeing that the glory that awaits us just washes all that away. But today, I wanted to try to minister to you in the midst of this difficult week for Grace Church. How... Are we supposed to deal with weeks like this? How can we walk by faith and not by sight in the midst of... How can we grieve in hope? Well, I put before you it's by framing our suffering in God's grace. So just what I want you to go away with is just be learning to frame your suffering while you live between Jesus' two comings, while you live here in this fallen world. Learn to frame your suffering. I want to give you a couple of pictures of living in between as we, as we think about this. Um, and then we're going to talk about, okay, then how do we frame our suffering? But just remember, we're unpacking John 16.33 and we're giving a little more content to that where Jesus said, in this world, this current world, He's talking to His followers. In this world in which you live, you will have difficulty. You will have trials. You will have suffering. This won't fill a football stadium, but this is truth. Look at it. In this world, you will have trouble. And just do the best you can, he says. Take heart. Take heart. I've overcome it for you. Frame your suffering in the gospel. I've overcome it for you. I'll be with you in the midst. I'm not promising to take all your suffering away. I'll be with you in the midst of your suffering. I'll be growing you. Listen, remember Heidelberg question one. Now all things must work for me because of Jesus. And there are going to be times when that doesn't make any sense to you. But it's the gospel truth. 
And it'll reveal whether or not we trust Him. Won't it? But I'll give you a couple of pictures of life in between. And these are just short glimpses in the lives of, of the people when Jesus was on the earth and after He obviously uh, died. Uh, and we'll move on from their resurrection. But the first picture is the disciples' example of living in between. And I'm just going to narrate this for you because it would be too hard to cover all this. I'll let you go back and read the Gospels. And in fact, we're reading Luke right now in our one plan. So uh, be, be doing that. But when I say the disciple, I'm picturing the disciples ex- uh, living in between. I'm talking about their living in between the cross and Jesus' resurrection, which is a picture of where, kind of place of where we live, right? We live between His coming for us and saving us, death, burial, and resurrection. We, we, we see that by faith. And when He comes back and puts an end to all suffering, we live in the middle. And there was a season where they were living in the middle on the earth. Think about the Passion Week. Well, let's back up. Think about the, the common expectations for the Messiah in the Jewish world. What they expected Him to be and do when He came. They expected Him to come. The Messiah would come. You can see this as you read the Gospels. You can see it in Zechariah's prayer. You can see it in a lot of other places. They expected the Messiah to come and rout the enemies. To come then as the conquering king. Which is true. And you see it in the Old Testament. You see the conquering king, but you also see the suffering servant. They missed that part. They didn't think the Messiah was supposed to die. He was supposed to come and conquer. And having found the Messiah and being one of his followers, well, you're going to be on the inner circle of this restoration of Israel to the center of all things and this glory that would come through this conquering king. And so in that Passion Week, remember, most of John's gospel is about Jesus' last week of life on this earth. In that Passion Week, you remember early in that week, what happened? Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And they're hailing Him. And what are they thinking? Oh, yeah. It's starting now. Starting now. He goes in and He does what? He cleanses the temple. He goes all Nehemiah on them and gets Him a whip and cleans the place out. And the disciples are, yeah, here we go. The King has come. And He pronounces woes on His enemies. They're like, get them, Jesus. Yeah, you're not talking to us. We're with you. Get them. And they celebrate Passover with the Messiah. Think about that. I mean, they didn't get it. But they're with the Messiah celebrating Passover. What must that have been like? And then in the midst of that Passover, Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood. And maybe they start to go, huh? Wait. Surely he doesn't mean. Remember what Peter said. Surely that will not happen to you. Surely he doesn't mean. But you know that that night is when Judas follows through with his betrayal of Jesus. That night is when Jesus is arrested. That night is when they all flee. As he said they would. 
And the next two days of Passion Week, Jesus was tried, Jesus was mocked, Jesus was beaten, and Jesus was crucified, buried. The Messiah is dead. Or at least we thought He was the Messiah. Remember the road to Emmaus situation, and you'll see it in Luke. We thought He was the one. Jesus had to correct him even then. What is going on in their minds? Fear, confusion, anxiety. What are they saying? It shouldn't be this way. Now notice, this was the fulfillment of God's will for which they would be thankful and would make more sense later. But in the moment of the grief and of the trials of this life, many times the first thought is, this is not right. It should not be this way. I would have never chosen for it to be this way. How can it be this way? See, that, that's a little picture of the life we live in between, isn't it? See, we have to come to grips with the reality that we are not in the new heavens and the new earth yet. And one reason it's so hard for us is we live in America and we're so spoiled. I mean, there are brothers and sisters around the world just being persecuted and killed and... We're not home yet. We're in enemy territory. This is a fallen world. If we follow Jesus, they won't like us. And besides that, Hurricanes and tornadoes and sickness and death and struggle and losing people unexpectedly all happens to Christians, to godly people, not because they're doing something wrong, not because they didn't pray enough or give enough or focus on the right thing or get enough people to say whatever they want to say. John Owen didn't suffer because he was evil. Job didn't suffer because he was evil. If you're a Christian, you won't so you might pay stupid tax. Now you might do dumb things against God's will and pay a price for that. But in general, a lot of the suffering that comes our way is just because of where we live. We're not home yet. This is a place of disease, disease and death and betrayal and doubt and sickness and all of that happens to Christians. And look at me. There's nothing you can do to nullify Jesus' statement. In this world you will have trouble. Now go home and be encouraged. Now you see, you see how for that season, Saturday was the day, or Friday really, Friday but Saturday too, it was the day all their dreams died. All their imaginations were washed away. All their faults, hope, and expectation was gone. Grief, confusion, doubt, fear. I mean, they locked themselves in a room. You would have too. They got Jesus. Now they're coming to get us. So the disciples were crushed with grief and confusion. How about number two? Mary, Martha, living in between. Think about them. 
And go read John 11. And, and you, I'm going to give you homework. You have to go read the whole chapter. I'm going to highlight parts of it. But Mary and Martha, they knew Jesus loved them. You read about the relationship that they had together. He, he stayed at their house during Passion Week in Bethany. They were close. What a blessing. They trusted Him. Jesus was anointed by Mary in Bethany on, on the Saturday before Palm Sunday. They enjoyed a very, very close relationship. And then a need arose. They had a desperate need. Lazarus had fallen ill. And so they called out to Jesus. They prayed to Jesus. They sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was seriously ill. Look at me. Jesus did not come. They sent word to Him in the midst of their grief and confusion and fear because Lazarus was sick. Lord, come. I want you to watch this. There's some lessons in here for us about where we live. John 11, 5 and 6. Now watch this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. See, that's what we've been talking about. He loved them. Now what's that little word that comes next? So, because He loved him, He did this. Jesus loved them so when He heard that Lazarus was ill, He rushed right to him. No, He stayed where He was two days longer. He loved them so He did not move. He loved them so He did not fix it. He loved them so He let Lazarus die. That'll weed your theology right there and free you some false, from some false teachers. God has bigger plans than their, our, their and our immediate relief. He's got bigger plans than that. Plans that we sometimes don't embrace. In verse 4, Jesus says this, This illness is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified. This death is for the glory of God. Don't, don't try to comprehensively understand that. And I don't understand everything about what happened this week. But I know by God's grace, His gospel went out yesterday in a powerful way. Not just not speaking about me. A lot of lost people heard the gospel because this grievous time has happened. I don't know what God's plan is. But I know that Jesus is telling us, you're going to have trouble, nothing you can do. There's going to be grief coming into your life. And in Lazarus and Martha's situation, He allowed them to be confused and heartbroken and not know what was going on, didn't He? He allowed their brother to die and go in the grave and get to the point where, as they said, He would be stinking. They were in the midst of grief and confusion and they're basically saying, Lord, you could have prevented this when He does get there. Why didn't you prevent this? Why didn't you prevent this? I don't know. But I know the story is bigger than my understanding. 
I know where we live is a place of death and suffering and sickness and loss, but I know we have great hope in the midst of it. See, Jesus didn't show up. Lazarus died. There was mourning and confusion and burial, and Lazarus is in the grave. Hope is lost. Dreams are gone. Prayers unanswered. God's not there. It shouldn't be this way. Hurting, confused, never saw it coming. This is what happens in any of our lives as we live in this fallen world and get our eyes underneath the sun and off of the one who lives above the sun for us. I've been on the inside this week. And I've seen a brother and sister struggle with this kind of doubt and this kind of confusion. But you know what else I've seen? In the middle of that struggle, you would hear something like, No, no, this is not true. My God is good. My God is a God of love. My God has me. I don't understand this. I don't like it. But you have me. I, I, that's what I've seen with my eyes. Because it's coming out of the lips of people who've been mired up in God's truth. We don't have any of the answers of why for this week. Job didn't get any of the why questions answered. But he got the who. God gave him the who himself. That's what I'm trying to focus. Owen's life. Remember Owen's life. He didn't get any why questions answered. All of his kids died. His wife died. But he sure got the who. Read his stuff. You'll see he knew who God was. He knew where he lived. Much of our life in between the two comings of Christ includes this kind of suffering and more. But He is our sufficiency and our strength and our comfort. And His truth is sufficient that we might know Him, love Him, live for Him, and grieve, yes, but grieve well. Grieve as those who have hope. It's one of the things you have to do when you're around a Christian that has lost. Give them permission to grieve. And as you can, encourage them to grieve in hope. Because a lot of times we don't think we're supposed to grieve, and that's ridiculous. You better let that out. It's going to come out. Sometimes when you have to preach... But much of our life in between includes suffering. We never dreamed it would be this bad when Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Somehow we take that word tribulation and we, we try to mold it down. And then we get a big slap and a dose of reality. This is not my home. I am passing through. In the trail behind a Savior who loved me and passed through. And gives me hope. In the midst. What was the resolution? Well, with the disciples, you know the story. On Sunday, Jesus was raised from the grave. The women ran and told the disciples they didn't believe him. But they eventually found out. Peter and John, they run to the tomb. Jesus appears to the disciples and all of that thing. Hope was restored. There was resurrection. But listen, think about it. Yes, that was Jesus' resurrection. But, and they were 
so empowered by it that they changed the world, but they still had to suffer and they still had to die. But they did it in hope because of the resurrection of Christ. How about Mary and Martha? Fourth day after the burial, Jesus shows up. Lazarus come forth. Lazarus came out of the grave. But he would die again. Well, that would stink, wouldn't it? You get out of here, you got to come back. You got to do it over. But it was great, powerful testimony <clears throat> to the power and the grace and the love of God in the midst. See, what about us? What about us? Resurrection's coming. If we die, we go immediately into the presence of the Lord. We are perfectly set free. We are with Him forever and we await the resurrection day when we will have our new bodies and dwell in the new heavens and the new earth forever. See, this resurrection hope, we already have it in that we've seen Jesus be raised from the dead, the first fruits. And His promise to us is that if He's been raised, we will be raised. That we've been set free from death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we can live without fear on mission for Him in this world. But see, we're not at the resurrection yet. We're not over in the new heavens and the new earth where there's no more suffering. So how do we walk through this life and not lose our mind? It's by framing. Framing our suffering. We live in the in-between, between the comings. He paid the penalty for our sin and His second, listen to me, His second coming will take away all our pain. That's when all our pain will go away. In the second coming of Christ. Right now we live in between. In a life and a world that Jesus promises will include suffering. And we've seen it. And we see it more, more than just this once. So how can the gospel frame our suffering? How can we see meaning and purpose and have hope in the midst of our suffering? suffering? That's really the question, isn't it? How can I make it? And not just make it, but make it living for your glory, being on mission for you. Grieving, yes, but grieving well in hope and not letting it trip me up from following Jesus. I'm going to try to give you something this morning that if you will take it home with you and if you'll maybe frame Jesus' words in John 16, 33 and let it remind you, right? Every time you look at a frame, I want you to think about framing your suffering. Because a lot of times we'll say, remember the gospel. Well, that's cool. How do I do that? What are some tools for me? I want to instruct a frame for you this morning. The first plank in the frame is look back well. Look back well. What do I mean? Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried. He was raised the third day. He did that for us. He redeemed us. Our sins are forgiven. We're clothed in His righteousness. We have a new heart. We are new creatures in Christ. Everything He did for us and everything we are in Him, we learn that from His Word, by the way. Look back to Jesus' first coming. Look to the cross and believe He has your best interest at heart. Even when the suffering strikes. Even when it seems like He's not answering your prayers. 
Listen, you're going to have times like that. Even when you're doubting because things don't seem to make sense. Look to the cross. Look back well. If he did that for you, if he was willing to give that kind of costly love for you, will he withhold anything that you really need? Will he make everything work for you? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Christ came into this mess to save a people that were given to him before the foundation of the world. He came and he lived under his own law. He was humiliated from the get-go, laid in a manger. A life of man of suffering, what a name for the Son of God who came. He came and was humiliated, but in the midst of that humiliation, he kept God's law perfectly in thought, word, and deed as the Son of God, as the God-man. What, he, he, he fulfilled all righteousness. Why? So that we would have a righteousness that we don't have. And then he went to that cross and he, he sweat drops of blood over it the night before because he knew he was facing the eternal wrath of God for the sins of his people. And being God and man, he could drink that cup dry. And he went into that grave and he was raised the third day so that we can tell you Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and He was raised the third day. And He offers salvation to you as a free gift. Will you turn from living as though you were the center of the universe and pursuing your own way and going against His way? Will you repent? Will you have that heart change, direction of the soul that turns to Him and owns your sin, agrees with God about it, confesses it, and receives the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then as a believer, you remember that gospel and you rest in it every single day. See, He walked the trail of grief and heartache for you, and now He walks it with you. He doesn't answer all of your questions because you don't have the capacity to understand the answer. We are finite. He is infinite. Many things He does is above us. But we have enough in His Word to trust Him and to walk faithfully with Him. So the first side of the frame, it's not all of it. This is the first side, is to look back well, is to remember the gospel. Now, another side of the frame, the right side of the frame, if you want to put it that way, is to look ahead well. We're building a frame. We're going to put our suffering right in the middle of it. So we look back well. We look to Jesus. We trust in Him for our salvation. We remember Him. We walk in His grace because He came. So we look back well. Now we look ahead well to His second coming. Read the New Testament and look how much of the motivation for godly living is because He's coming again. The promise of His coming again. No, listen to me, this is important. Look ahead well in that you know that He is coming, that He'll finish the work in you, that when He appears you'll be like Him. But then, then all of our suffering will be over. All of our pain will be gone then when He returns. Right now we walk through it. So look, look back and look ahead well. He's coming again. All of our pain will end then. We'll be in the new heavens and the new earth then. Mission now, full deliverance from misery then. 
So don't have false expectations here that you won't suffer. That's really All the pain will be gone, wiped away then. He's come to save us. He's working that salvation in us and He will glorify us someday. When He returns, when we leave this place, if we die before He returns, our spirits will go be with Him and be set free. But then is when He puts an end to all suffering in this world, transforms this world into the new heavens and the new earth. So know where you live and have proper expectations. Go listen to Ecclesiastes. It will help you. The two sides of the frame so far, I'm looking back well. I'm looking forward well. I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone. I'm believing His Word. Yes, I'll have trials in this life, but He'll be with me through them and He's overcome them so that they have to work for me now. And someday, all pain, not just for me, but for everybody in the world, will be taken away. That's when He returns. That's new heavens, new earth. Might be tipping my eschatology a bit here. That's another discussion. All right, so we've got two sides of the frame. We look back well and we look ahead well. What might be the next part? Look up well. Look up well. What do I mean by trust Him? Know Him and trust Him. Especially, listen, His sovereignty. Nothing will equip you for the kind of suffering we face this week like a knowledge of His sovereignty. Every one of my days were written down before I ever lived one of them. And on my day, it'll be my day. Same is true for you. Same is true for all of us. There's not a maverick molecule in the universe, R.C. Sproul says. God is in control. Know your God. That's the only way you can look up well. Listen, look at me. There is a God and it's not you. Your prayers don't always determine the way things are going to go. Sometimes God's answers are bigger than you can understand. Sometimes it's wait and sometimes it's no. But He's always good. He's always gracious and merciful and kind and long-suffering and forgiving. He's always working out His plan. So we look to the cross and we trust Him with that. We look ahead. We know when our suffering will end. We look up and we know that knowing He is God and therefore is in minute control, is what's going to give me peace in the storm. See, as long as I think if I'd have done something different or, or, or said something different or prayed something different, this wouldn't be happening. As long as I'm thinking like that, I got no peace. I'm guilty. I caused this. God wanted it to be different, but know your God. Know His sovereignty. Know His infinity that we studied today. Know all about Him as much as you can know. Know what He's revealed. The more you know Him and the better you know Him, the better you'll be able to walk through the griefs of this life in faith with hope. Yes, through tears. Yes, through grieving. But in faith and with hope. Know and trust your God. So, our suffering is in the middle We've got three sides of the frame. We look back well, we look ahead well, we look up well. We got one more. And this one makes sense. Look down well. Look down well. What do I mean by that? Know where you live. 
That's what Ecclesiastes was all about. This you see under the sun. This fallen, darkened world. This place of grief and suffering. This is where you live, but it doesn't define you. Because Christ is your Savior. And He is accomplishing His purpose. And someday all suffering and will be taken away. All rights, all wrongs will be made right. But in the midst, I can look up and trust my God. See, I can look above the sun to the one who reigns and who sacrificed His Son for me. And therefore, I can grieve well and trust well. And the last part of the frame is knowing where you live. Look down well. So if, we, if we're rested in Christ's grace through the gospel, if we believe His word and know that right now is a time of suffering, someday He's going to put that to an end. If we know our God and if we know where we live in a fallen world in a place of suffering, now we've framed our suffering. We've put it in the context of God's grace. Now we can have hope in the midst of God's suffering. This is our frame. Look back, look forward, look up, look down. This is how we put our suffering in the context of the gospel and see it as meaningful and not an accident and valuable. And we don't understand it all. And we can only do this through Him and through a knowledge of His Word. Listen, remember what Peter said, that we have everything necessary for life and godliness through His precious promises. We have everything necessary to walk by faith and not by sight. We have everything necessary to grieve well, to rejoice well, and everything in between. Those who have hope have it in Christ and are ready. So listen, as I've been challenging us, our daily habits matter, don't they? They matter, they matter incredibly that we have this time of prayer and this time of the Word, that we meet God where He's promised to meet us, that we draw near to Him where He's promised to draw near to us so that He might strengthen us and grow us and help us in our time of need and grow us and be glorified in us. So our time of, of, of prayer in the Word and fellowship right, with one another during the week, and training our kids in family worship and all of those things that we do, they're intensely important to the health of our soul, to our ability to frame our grief, to our ability to walk through this world believing Jesus but be encouraged because He's overcome the world for us. And then, that's our daily habits. What about our weekly habits? Our weekly habits of gathering for worship and prayer and word and sacraments and singing and giving and Lord's Supper and baptism. That is the primary means of grace. And primary to that is the word. And it's all the word coming into us as as we worship. That's the most important aspect of our growth in grace and knowing God. And some of us are not prioritizing the Lord's day. And some of us, we don't mean to, but we're teaching our kids not to prioritize the Lord's Day. Please don't teach your kids that anything is more important than being with God's people in God's worship on the Lord's Day. Sports is not more important. 
Entertainment is not more important. Yes, I know, take a vacation, but go worship somewhere else when you take a vacation. Never take a vacation from God. If you want to, something's wrong. Okay? Yes, I know some of you have to work on the Lord's Day, and, and that, you know, works for necessity and mercy. That's okay. Seek for all the accommodation you can get with your employer because they do need to accommodate you some. But our doctors, our nurses, our first responders, there are a lot of people who have to. But listen, if, if, it's, if it's not a have to, it's not a need to. And what we want to be, listen, I'm fighting for you and your children right now. We want to really live in the fact of giving God the glory due His name, of living like He is most important. Because you know why? He is. Of doing things His way. Feeding my soul in His Word and in prayer with Him, meeting Him there. And if we feel like that's legalism, there's something wrong with us, not God and not His Word, okay? But if we all know that we're drawing near and He's drawing near to us and it's to grow us in grace and prepare us. And then in worship, it should be our highest joy on the Lord's Day to gather for worship. It's the most important thing you do every week. We don't see it that way, do we? We need to start seeing it that way. And listen, I'm not picking on anybody in particular. This is not a time to sleep. Prepare for Lord's Day worship. Go to bed the night before. Drink 17 cups of coffee the morning before you come if you need to. But don't sit in here and snooze. That doesn't honor God and it doesn't equip you. You don't get no points for just being here. There are no points being handed out. So fight for being alert, being awake. Prepare for worship on Saturday night. Prepare your kids' clothes. Preach all this into them. This is the most important thing we'll do this week. And we're going bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and we're going to be sitting on the front of our seats. I'm fighting for my soul and for your soul when this day comes for you. And it will. Will you be ready? to grieve well, to stand in God's grace, to trust the unknowns to Him, and to rest in your God. Yes, you'll fight through that. Yes, you'll grieve, but grieve with hope. But you better be framing your suffering. And you better be doing it now before the suffering hits because it's awfully difficult to do it once that trial hits, especially if it's one of these. I'm not mad. I am intense. Because this is important. Your soul is important. The souls of your children are important. Your God is most important. He is with you. He is for you. So look back well and remember Christ's first coming. Him dying for your sin and being buried and raised from the grave. Trust Him and His grace. Live in His grace. Know that this is a time of suffering that it will end someday. Either when you go to be with Him or He returns. But at that point, when He renews all things in the new heavens and the new earth, that's when there will be more, no more tears or sickness or crying or pain. Until then, we walk through it knowing our God, the top realm. That He's with us and for us and sovereign over everything and using everything. He uses us in the midst of our grief and uses our grief to change us and make us more like Jesus. And then the last part of the frame, know where we live. 
I really would encourage you to go back and listen to those messages on Ecclesiastes and listen to this one again and take notes and write it down and fill in some of the gaps and now be framing your Don't expect no suffering. Go listen to Osteen or somebody if you want people to tell you lies. I'm sorry, I'm fired up this morning. I, I, I have been reminded this week on how important this gospel is and this Savior is. And I'm thankful that the person we grieve knew Jesus. Still hurts. Still confusing. But there's hope. And I want you to have that same hope. So I'm going to fight for you if I make you mad and run you off or I get you in here and get you serious about it. But we have everything necessary for life and godliness. We have everything necessary to face the dark trial. We have everything necessary in the knowledge of our God, in the grace of our God, in looking back well and ahead well and up well and down well in knowing where we live and who our God is and the content and expectations that flow from His grace. In this world, you will definitely, for sure, no way around it, have trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome it to, for you. And I'm applying that overcoming to you. And one day, one day in that new heavens and new earth, no more crying, no more pain, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more death, because no more sin, and therefore no more misery. Trust in your God. Receive His peace and His grace and walk with Him daily and be prepared for the storms of this life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. One of the first sets of verses I memorized. This is how we do this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Why? Because a lot of things ain't going to make sense to you. But you know who's your God, who is your God, and where your faith is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight or direct your paths. The things that are revealed belong to us, you know, and our children. The things that aren't revealed, the secret things belong to God. One of the things Lisa shared with me is that recently before this happened this week, that she had the sense that God was asking her over and over, do you trust me? Do you trust me? So I ask you, do you trust him? Do you trust him? John Owen trusts him. That's why he could frame his suffering in a way that he could lose his wife and lose his children without losing his faith. He grieved, yes, but he grieved well and he continued to grow and be used. So frame your suffering by looking back well, ahead well, up well, and down well. Believe your Savior when he says in this world you'll have trouble, but also believe him when he says to take heart that he has overcome it for us. If I can do this, I'm going to read this hymn to you that I think expresses the attitude that I'm trying to communicate. 
And it's called, Whate'er My God Ordains Is Right. I think it's number 66 in the hymnals. It's in our hymnal. Maybe we could sing this someday. Whate'er my God ordains is right. So here's the lyrics. Whate'er my God ordains is right. His holy will abideth. I will be still whate'er he doth and follow where he guideth. He is my God. What? Though dark my road, he holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore to him I leave it all. Verse 2. Whate'er my God ordains is right. He never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know He will not leave me. I take content what He hath sent. His hand can turn my griefs away. And patiently I wait His day. Whate'er my God ordains is right. Though now this cup in drinking may bitter seem to my faint heart, I take it all unshrinking. My God is true, each morn a new sweet comfort, yet shall fill my heart, and pain and sorrow shall depart. Whate'er my God ordains is right, here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, and death be mine, yet I am not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so, to Him, I leave it all. To live is Christ. Lord, I pray that You would help us to do these things. To look back well and rest all of our hope in the grace that's to be brought to us in Christ. In your gracious, full, and free salvation in Christ. That Christ died for our sins. That he was raised for our justification. That his righteousness has been imputed to us and credited to us. That our record before you because of Christ is righteous and perfectly righteous. That we have been justified. That we are being sanctified or grown in grace. And that you will finish that work. We look well, back well, and we believe the gospel. Help us to look ahead well and, and have proper expectations on where we live and know that all misery and suffering and trouble and death and sickness, even for Christians, it will not be ended until then. And many times we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But what does the psalmist say? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Help us to know you, who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Sovereign God, that you are with us and for us, never to leave us nor forsake us. Yes, you will take us through deep waters and dark times and things when we feel like our faith is failing. But you, as this song says, will not let us fall. Help us to keep our eyes, our hope, our hearts fixed above the sun. And therefore, help us to look down well and know where we live. A fallen world where we're going to hurt and struggle and yet in the midst of it be light and salt and be on mission for you. Telling others about this Savior who helps us to grieve well, who helps us to grieve in faith, who helps us, yes, to grieve, but to grieve with God and in His grace. And be people who 
even in the midst of our sorrow, like the family I'm blessed to minister to this week. I must have been pleased and blessed to be people who will be sitting in great grief and sorrow and witnessing to the people who from the authorities are interviewing them. <laughs> I've seen grief this week and I've seen grief in faith and I'm thankful for that. I'm sorry that what has happened has happened, but wow. You were there. You are there. You're with us. You're for us. And you somehow will make this work for us and for your kingdom. And you already are. So we praise and thank you this morning. I pray for those listening to me who don't know you that they'd quit playing around. That they'd stop presuming that they'll have another day. That they'd stop taking comfort in the fact that they think the gospel is foolish. You said they would think that way. But may your spirit apply your word to their hearts that they might see their need of Christ and in grief and hatred for sin turn to Christ and receive Him. For those of us who know you, I'm going to pray the same thing. May we quit playing. May we quit, quit acting like it's all about us. May we start really, really following hard after you, Lord Jesus. And taking this hope of this gospel to people all around us who are dying without hope. Help us to encourage one another in it. Help us to love one another the way Christ loves us. Help us to stop being so petty in so many ways. And to be arm in arm on mission for you. So I'll boil it all down, Lord, to the summary of your commandments, out of your grace flowing in our hearts. Help us to love you well. And help us to love our neighbor well. And help us to love one another the way Christ has loved us. Get over ourselves. Forgive. Love and nurture one another. As so many are doing, Lord, in this body. I, I thank you for that. And help us to lock arms intentionally on mission for you. Help us to prioritize your day, your word. In community. And then in our private lives. Communing with you around your word. Help us to prioritize the mission. I pray that one of the things that comes from this death we've walking through this week is renewal and revival and rededication and refocusing. That we walk even more seriously, even more faithfully for and with you. Lord Jesus, thank you for telling us the truth. And in this world, we'll have trouble. Thank you for the fact that you're with us in the midst of it, such that you wept with your people even though you knew you were going to raise Lazarus from the grave, such that you confronted Saul and said, Why are you persecuting me? You are in us and with us and for us, and you will take us all the way home. In the midst of this current struggle, I pray that you would help us to grieve. Pray that no one would be holding that back. But that you'd help us to grieve well. And that you'd just help us to continue to wrap our arms around our brothers and sisters in Christ who have experienced this great loss. 
I thank you for the work of grace I see in them. I thank you that even now they're seeking to witness to their family that don't know you. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us to look back well and ahead well and up well and down well and have our suffering in the center of the picture, but then over that suffering have this gospel, this cross, this Savior who is with us and for us and will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, convert people today. Sanctify your people today. Increase our love for you and one another. May we be true and growing followers, disciples of the one who conquered death for us. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.